Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode six of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I talk about what it's like when our perception of our yoga practice and the role that it plays in our life changes over time. There's a little something for everyone in this episode, including is Ashtanga yoga a cult? Are repetitive movement activities a bad idea? Four distinct phases that a movement science-based yogi might go through on their yoga journey over time. The common tendency to see yoga as a magical practice that offers everyone everything they need. How a strength training practice can be about so much more than aesthetics and how we look. A good look at the trend of bringing resistance bands and weights into a yoga practice and what that would really need to look like in order to truly be strengthening. Hint, it probably wouldn't look like the way bands and weights are generally incorporated into yoga classes these days. And we talk about so much more. We really think that many of our listeners will relate to so much of what we discuss in this episode. If you happen to be a member on my website, JennyRawlings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great, and you can just listen right here. But if you'd like to actually see Travis and I talk face-to-face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. If you enjoy this episode, we'd hugely appreciate your support in subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast wherever you're listening to it. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Travis. Thanks for joining me for our sixth episode of our podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk about your four phases as a yogi. And so this is a topic that originally originated in your forum on your website. Uh, So you have a cool member forum where you talk about all sorts of yoga geeky things. And you, in this post, talked about how you got started with yoga and how you transitioned through a few phases in your journey to where you are with your movement practice today. And I thought that it would be a really cool topic to cover on the podcast because it seems like a lot of people relate to the progression through yoga that you have gone through. And so I thought we could chat about it today. I love that you had the idea to talk about it. And I I agree. I was was really honored when you read that post in the forum and you thought that it was really interesting and a good topic to pull out. And I think it's a great idea to just have have a chat along those lines here on the forum. I think a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to maybe the full progression or at least some phases, or it might just um, prompt them to look at their own yoga journey and and lay out their phases, how they see their own evolution with their practice. Mm -hmm, For sure. And I think it's it's tough because what we're going to talk about is 
<laughs> like when you first started, yoga was one thing for you, and then it became another thing, and then another thing, and another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe for some people who are earlier on in those stages, the coming to those realizations um, could be challenging uh, because yoga isn't what they once perceived it to be. And so maybe mm-hmm. hearing your story will help them, you know, feel like more supported or like they're not alone in, yeah. in experiencing these questions and maybe some cognitive dissonance. I don't know. Just, yeah, it can be uncomfortable, I think, to, to maybe look at, at what you've come to, to know and be so connected to, but to look at it in a different way and right. feel differently about it. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully this can be helpful. So why don't we dive right in mm-hmm. and talk about what your early days of yoga practice looked like? Yeah. So my er- so I've been doing yoga a really long time. Uh, I think I, I started in like 1999. And of course, back then, the entire yoga community, the yoga culture here, at least in the West, what I feel was quite different than it is today. Like everything evolves but even remembering back then that the lay of the land was just was just a little different in certain ways but back in 1999 I was an undergrad at UCSB and had a friend who um, I knew from the dorms and she had just heard about this thing called yoga that was supposed to be this amazing practice that on all levels just offered like it was just a, it was very very upheld or elevated as a practice so she had heard really great things and there was a, a class offered on the campus for the students through like that recreational side. Um, and so she asked if I wanted to go. And I, I also had heard really good things about this like mysterious yoga thing. And so I decided to accept her invitation and we went to class. And I remember it was, it was like in a really big gym space. So it wasn't in a yoga studio, but everybody had yoga mats. The yoga teacher had this really great presence about her and she seemed really she seemed really loved, much loved by the students. It was like a regular, I think, weekly class that took place over each quarter. And the main things I remember feeling about the practice were just, uh, it was in my mind back then when I was like 19, it was really hard. I had not been an athletic person previous to that. Like I just hadn't been into sports or athletic activities all through my schooling up to that point. So I really, um, I guess I hadn't really moved my body in a in a structured way like that and really like loading it with different loads beyond just kind of normal daily life loads. So to me, I think that kind of experience was really new. I just remember it was really hard, but I I loved it and was hooked pretty instantly. You went back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I went back with my friend and then we took uh, the rest of that series that quarter. And then I uh, liked yoga so much that there was an actual yoga studio in Santa Barbara that I'd heard about. And another friend was going there, and so she invited me and we went. It was like a big deal for me to go from just the sheltered on-campus life and that yoga to kind of more real daily life, like integrated into the city of Santa Barbara. Uh, but I went to start going to class there, and that felt that felt even different and more special to me at that time. Than how, was, how was the going to the studio different? I remember being a little nervous, like... I, I don't feel this way about this anymore today. But back then when I was super new, it was like, oh, is this is like more serious yoga or more real yoga, you know, in a yoga studio setting versus just sure. with a bunch of fellow students in a gym setting on campus. So I felt a little intimidated 
And I, I remember thinking uh, that everyone around me, and especially the teachers, they were just so, quote, good at this practice. Yeah. And for me, I was just like flopping around, didn't really know what I was doing. I've, I certainly experienced that too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I or, or we just chat with people out there on the street or whoever who haven't really done yoga but know of it, it's, you often hear that, right? Yeah. They're intimidated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, and they, they're just like, I'm not good enough. To, mm-hmm. And I and I, all, I always say, like, it was not about being good or not. Yeah, you're good. you're good about saying that. Like, oh, you don't have to be strong or flexible. Yeah, those are not prerequisites. Right. But just people tend to think that that's like this impression that they have, which maybe that's partly just in the messaging of how, how yoga is packaged and presented out there. It can... Yeah. Kind of well, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's day. like a different podcast. Yeah. But it can be a little... Yeah, it can intimidate people. And I felt that. Uh, at that time but I think uh, also there are just like um, bumps to get over and I know I felt that but I just kind of kept going and moved through that a little bit Mm -hmm. and then uh, yeah and then through being there I remember another friend uh, she had started going to this really early morning like quote hardcore because it was so early it was like 6am in the morning to show up and practice but also quote hardcore and then it was it was Rumored to be this super strong practice that, like, you needed to be really good at yoga to do something like that. So she started going to that class, and that class was was called Mysore style Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the practice of Ashtanga. And when you call it, when it's called Mysore style Ashtanga, then that's really, really traditional Ashtanga, uh, rooted in the birthplace of Ashtanga, which is Mysore, a city in South India. Gotcha. So that was. Just one class that was being offered at the studio that you'd been going to. It wasn't like a fully Mysore Ashtanga studio. That's right. Okay. There are Mysore style Ashtanga studios where it's just dedicated to that. But at this yoga center, it was called Santa Barbara Yoga Center. It still exists actually under new cool. ownership, but it was uh, like the big prestigious prominent studio in the town at that time. And they had a Mysore program, you could call it. Okay. Where the teachers taught every morning, the Monday through every morning except Saturdays, because traditionally you don't. Slackers, you just, you just, yeah. Slackers. It's a six day a week practice, except for moon days, uh, and then if you're a female, if you're menstruating, you're like That's not right. allowed to practice. That's right. Like, I think it's like the first three days of men. So they're all their very traditional ideas around it. Sure. But basically, it's uh, you know you're supposed to practice almost every day. Wow. So, what was that like? That was, I, I clearly, obviously, don't practice that style anymore. Uh, I can look back. Spoiler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I would think most people listening to this, if, they know, if they're familiar with, with what I teach and do. Uh, so, I feel, I, I, I want to try to see it really clearly and see that there were, there were a lot of benefits. Like, I actually don't did it for a long time, right? I you're right for eight years so you must have liked it yeah yeah <laughs> you're right i did like it i think i liked feeling it's a very vigorous style of yoga both like stamina wise and specific asana wise like there are a lot of quote deep poses like you really and the teachers will kind of push you with adjustment you know it's um it's different it's different than than um, a lot of the yoga that's out there in terms of that. It's just, it's just intense. I feel like that's a, a good term to describe it. People who, who really stay committed and really go every day. And then the practice is done. It's a self-led type of practice. So everyone's in the room together collectively. But that's they're, right. 
It's not a lead practice. It's so different. It's it's a really different energy. I don't think you've been in a class like that before. That no. I know. Mm-mm. It's a really different energy. I find. I would be intimidated by that for sure. <laughs> You're so right. That alone is it. Like aside from the fact that the asanas themselves are really tough. Uh, also, just that it's like because you have to memorize. You have to know yeah, what your sequence is. That's my my weakness. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, the way they teach it to you over time, I'm sure I, I'm sure you would totally be able to just walk in and do it, but it can be intimidating. And everyone's just so focused. It it's very it's very like a meditative style of practice. I liked I really think when I look back, I think one of the biggest things I appreciate about it was the community aspect. Mm-hmm. Because you're in that room with so many fellow dedicated people. Yeah. Like you look around at six AM in the morning and it's just it's like this group of people you totally know. Other yoga classes Often the group changes. Mm-hmm. There might be some regulars, but there are people always dropping off and coming in. But with Ashtanga, it really cultivates more. Honestly, it's a little cult-like. <laughs> Goes from community, which is like a really nice thing, to quickly slippery you know, slope. You know, my husband cried. He actually studied. He's a sociology professor. He studies cults. And he actually... You know, in academia, as you know, you're an, an academic, but really trying to be objective when looking at things. And I know, and I feel it too, whenever we think of a cult, where like, that's instantly negative. But he actually, in his studies of them, he's not, I mean, he would, he would never recommend that we join a cult, but he could see, he thinks that that social connection, the social cohesion aspect is actually a plus. Like people take comfort in that and sure. can feel supported. So I think I think he's you know sees the pluses and minuses. He at that time, so Craig did Ashtanga with me all through that time. Yeah, and it's really nice to have had that shared experience because he so knows what that's like. But I remember at the time he referred to it as a cult, and I felt offended. And I was like, it's not a cult. Like why? I know what you mean. There is a guru, Sri Page Patavi Joyce. There is, and there is a set practice. But I felt like I didn't feel like it was a practice everyone should do. Which now that I think about it, I guess that's not necessarily a definition of a cult but at the time i pictured cult people in cults like wanting to spread the knowledge and draw everyone in to their cults and i felt like that's not how i felt about ashanga at all like i felt like it worked for me but i wasn't going to try to tell people to do it gotcha anyway craig said it was a cult but he did it and loved it too (laughs) anyway yeah so hopefully you can kind of imagine it's just this is intense practice. Yeah. It draws you in, or it doesn't, or it alienates you, or you're just like, that's way too intense for me. I am not doing that. But I think when you're drawn in, when a practice is more, has maybe more boundaries to it, if you pass through those boundaries, then you're maybe more likely to stick. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, I could see that. It's like a initiation or Yeah. Sometimes right. they call that hazing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like if you make it past that, maybe there's some matter of I don't know if it's pride, but just like I can do this. Yeah. I, I can belong. I, that's here. what like my experience with swimming felt like. 
Really? Yeah, like you start and it's really hard and it's like, well, yes. can I do this? And then if you last, then you exactly. become a member of the team. And you become a Paralympic gold medalist, as you did. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen to everybody. Right, right. But still, you could, yeah, you can be brought into something. Results that. may vary. <laughs> but, um, but you had that result and that's amazing. You had two. Anyway, two gold medals. Two records, yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry, not gold medals, two yeah. records. I had a couple of gold medals, but that was a little different. <laughs> okay, uh, we could talk about that in a different podcast. I'd love to actually go into that stuff with you in a different podcast. So anyway, does that kind of just does that kind of paint a picture of Ashtanga? Yeah. So <laughs> so your first seven and a half years were lovely, and then oh right, yeah. There came a time. Yes. When you're like, this is not serving me anymore. That is totally right. And I j- basically, it came down to how I was feeling in my body. And I just, just like nothing major, although I guess I did kind of get a hamstring strain or pull in. Um, yoga butt? It wasn't a good question. And I know everybody gets yoga butt. It wasn't yoga butt for me. Yoga butt being high hamstring tendinopathy. Exactly. So yoga butt being you feel the pain up at the top. For me, it was mid, mid hamstring. And I was in a seated straddle, Upa Vishtakamasana. Mm-hmm. And the teacher, the Ashtanga teacher came and she pushed me oh, no. down. Like pushed my torso down. Oh, no. And, you know, as a student, you just trust that the teacher knows what they're... Or most, in most dynamics like that, teacher-student, you're just like, they know best. They think my body should go there. Yeah. And then there was this, like, searing hot pain. Oh, geez. In the middle. And I remember... At, oh, sorry. We have uh, um, an article kind of about that. The yes. teacher knows best. It's oh, a survey that we did about physical touch and yoga. I totally do. Sorry to interrupt. But no, no. Plug the article. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great. I and mean, people love that article. Yeah, we'll we'll link it in the show notes. We'll link it in the show notes. I think it's really eye opening. And we tried to be really objective. We weren't like trying to be biased in in going into this topic. I think some people have strong opinions. Sure. Like no no touch ever or touch is amazing. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry, sorry for that sorry. digression. Mm-hmm. Proceed. So, yeah, so that, that I remember when I came out of the stretch of the pose, I turned to her and said, like, oh, I felt a little uncomfortable or that felt like a little painful in the back of my leg. Mm. And she said, you should have told me to stop. <laughs> Which I just thought now in Dur- retrospect. During the inciting event. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Which is not like that was ever laid out. Clear. Like, that's not laid out clearly to That students. you can ask to stop or like or that you should that you should really be paying attention and you tell them when like it's just like no one ever said or in my experience yeah that's not the dynamic you know the diamond it was more this power dynamic where the teachers manipulate your your but it's not a cult where it is a cult (laughs) (laughs) i can see how there are cult like uh, elements or maybe it is a cult yeah but anyway yeah so i any but that was like kind of a big thing and then that was earlier on but after that I just felt um, little aches and pains in my body, I would say. Yeah. Kind of all over. I remember like the low, my low back felt really like kind of on all through, like throughout the day, not just in the practice. Oh, geez. But just, yeah, just kind of like kind of groany, uncomfortable and, uh, and uh, yeah, some other places too. I remember talking to other people about it who didn't do Ashtanga and just saying like, I feel a little frustrated because I feel like I'm, I feel, um pain in my body a little too achy for a 20 something year old yeah very active yogi yeah exactly and so i think that was my first uh kind of tuning in to realizing like maybe it's just 
I mean, it's not the practice itself, but just the fact that it's so repetitive. And uh, you're also encouraged when you do Ashtanga, you're encouraged not to do other types of practice. That's right. <laughs> because it's supposed to be just complete in and of itself. Another cult-like <laughs> attribute. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So just this. And, and I, I, th- I find that that belief about Ashtanga also just uh, uh, permeates the yoga world in general. Maybe more so back then. Like I said, the yoga landscape has changed over time. But back then I felt like there was just a lure around yoga in general. That it was just this like perfect, complete practice. And when you say complete... Just can you elaborate on what that yeah, entails? Because it's a bit of a vague term. Yeah, I like know. okay, don't do anything else. But then yes, uh, is... so it, it'll heal your pain. Mm-hmm. Like if Bold you have claim. pain, what'd you say? Bold claim. Yeah, exactly. But there's so many anecdotes of that happening. Yeah, you know, sure. which again, I mean, we just we don't. Just and they, they ignore the people who are in pain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And maybe ignore other things that could have changed in their life that could have influenced their pain. You know, like they, it's just, uh, um, just because something had happened after something, yeah, yeah. post hoc fallacy. That's right. doesn't necessarily mean it's because of that thing, but. If uh, this, then that. If exactly. So someone starts yoga and their back pain changes and then they're like, oh, it's because of yoga. But it could have just been natural history. Like it could have just naturally resolved. It could have been other things. It could be yoga, but not necessarily about the specific asanas and movements but just more about it could be that they're getting more uh satisfaction from the community engagement a hundred percent it could be psychosocial factors and how yoga is so great that way so it's just so as we know pain is so complex but in my mind at that time i felt like i felt like my practice was was causing my pain right but then so the this (laughs) idea of a complete practice it was giving you the strengthening yes. you needed, the stretching you needed, the 100%. mindfulness you needed. Yes. And if it all of that. Yes. It was like a meditative practice. So it gave me that mindfulness aspect. Uh, it gave me spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And it gave me all of the stretching and strengthening and movement ingredients. Yeah. I could and watch. even uh, cardiovascular benefit. Yeah. Like, which um, might yeah. be true. <laughs> it could be true maybe in some <laughs> yeah. forms. Not, yeah. not all of those things are necessarily true, but that one could be because of how vigorous it is. Exactly. Like it could be maybe a low density form of cardio or something. Yeah. And I guess if it's like the practice, it's like it was like an hour and a half to maybe two hours, depending on your practice. And if you do that Man. six days a week, that makes over the 150. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off on it. Yeah, no, that that would satisfy <laughs> the ACSM's guidelines for right. um, volume of activity per week. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, so I guess. Which most people don't get, so it's yeah. not a bad thing. Right. Um, so it's not a bad thing, right? Like compared to being a couch potato and being totally sedentary, I think doing something like that, like yoga like that, that even that intensely and that often is, is still great, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably all relative. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I thought of as complete. And I think that was kind of the impression. It'll keep you pain free. It'll heal your pain if you have it. And it'll hit all those other points that you mentioned. Yeah. But then, so the, the pain thing, you're like, well, I'm really not feeling so hot. That's right. So that I think that finally kind of pushed me to think maybe after eight years, I know I'm so dedicated and I know this so well, but maybe I could try something different. And there was this other class in Santa Barbara at the time. That at was, the same studio. 
Yeah, actually, she did teach at that same studio. And then I remember she moved studios and I followed her. Okay, okay. But in the beginning, she was at that same studio. Yeah. Because that studio was a big studio. A lot like, of classes. Full schedule, yeah. Yeah. You could go to the Maestro program, but you could also go to other classes. Gotcha. I hadn't for so long. I only did. You weren't allowed. I only did Oshanga. Yeah, it wasn't You were allowed. forbidden. Yeah, but this other teacher, she taught a class called, uh, dyna- I think she called it Dynamic Flow. I think that's what it was called. It was basically Vinyasa Flow. Yeah. And uh, it was just rumored to be the most, the strongest. It, other than Ashtanga, it was rumored to be the most intense yoga. I sense a pattern. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, especially when you're young, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it's not an age thing. But some people, I think, they want to feel like they're really working in their yoga practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So her class was supposed to be like the other really strong choice was strong. I mean, whatever, but just really challenging yoga choice. So I think I ventured out and took her class one day, which felt like a huge deal. To that me. does sound like a huge deal. Almost like a betrayal. Maybe to Ashtanga, you know, like I'm supposed to be so dedicated. And I'm yeah. Another... Did you have, were you like feeling a little guilty as you walked I think I in? A little bit, a little bit did feel yeah. a little bit guilty. Wow. Like you couldn't really <laughs> tell the people in the Ashtanga class, like, that you were exactly. taking that other class. Yeah, like, hey, yesterday I did this. They I, they would definitely be, like, wow. a little a little hurt or a little, like, yeah. you did kind of thing. But I just thought taking another class. I thought maybe, I still wanted a challenge, but I thought maybe moving my body differently. Because Ashtanga is very, I didn't mention this before, but it's the same sequence always. Right. I mean, there's a little, there, it does change a little. We don't need to get in the details. You might do a, sl- a different practice on one day of the week, but in general, you're doing the same practice every time, and it's really intense. So this other teacher and her her dynamic flow uh, changed every time, and so it was different, and it wasn't Ashtanga, but it still included, you know, it's had vinyasas and standing poses and seated poses, but it was just, the music was really high, the class was full of what I would, what I would casually call type A people. Although I'm not sure that, that that distinction is like a real distinction, but just a lot of type A's who really wanted to feel like they, at the end of the class, they were lying in sweat and just had really worked, but that it was still, quote, spiritual or whatever. Yeah. So then I really liked that. Like my body started to feel better. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I did make a migration away from Ashtanga, which, and, and actually Craig did at the same time. Craig did at the same time. So that was really nice. Sort of independently or it was a, a joint decision? It's a good question. I think he was maybe feeling some of his own discomfort in his body. And also, of course, I'm sure we influenced each other in like talking about it in our bodies. But I think we kind of together decided, let's try this, which was good because I could see how that could create some tension if one person in a married couple was super dedicated and they, they both were and then one started to venture away. Yeah. But luckily that didn't happen with us. So we both together kind of, kind of, kind of left. And then we did vinyasa. Uh, we did her vinyasa flow class. My body felt great for a while, and I. How tri- long? Yeah, I would say oh, how long? A couple years. A couple years. It somewhere along there, I also started teaching my own classes. Mm-hmm. And then once I started teaching, uh, then it sh- it shifted even more. Yeah. But so um, you, you were gonna say you attributed the sense of yeah. To- I, Feel, attributed feeling better in my body to doing a different practice, like moving my body in different ways, mm-hmm. different asanas. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you're only moving your body in one way over time repeatedly and you're not also bringing other movement ingredients in, I think we just know that the tissues of our body really like variable loading uh, and that that can be really good for us. Not that you can't do like one thing and also be dedicated to that one thing, but it's also good to cross train. Right. 
Just for general well-rounded. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's okay to have repetitive motion, but you want to balance it out with something else. Like when you were swimming and you had your swimming career, like to me that seems like that's a very repetitive. Yeah. There are different styles of swimming. Yeah. So you get a little bit of that counter movement. Like if you do front crawl and backstroke, like you're, you're doing circumduction of the shoulder in a different, you know, clockwise, counterclockwise. But all four strokes are all internal rotation of the shoulder like for propulsion so it isn't really the case that you're getting the full spectrum yeah so there is some variability and you probably actually this would be an interesting question of whether swimmers who train all four strokes are more injury plague or less injury plague than swimmers who specialize in one more exclusively i i don't know that that's a thing you could i don't think that that has been i haven't seen that to be true you could imagine that it might be true, but uh, yeah, I mean, it like theoretically seems. Yeah, but it, but that. even still, with practicing the four strokes, they're they're more similar, surprisingly enough, than they are different. Mm, okay, oh, that makes sense. So if you look at, at least the for full, the the upper body, right? And I think that's actually what I realized too about the vinyasa flow class versus ashtanga, like like the swimming strokes. Like, yeah, they're different from each other, but if you take a step back, yeah. Uh, if you didn't similar. know anything about yoga and you looked at uh, somebody practicing one and somebody practicing the other, they could be doing the same thing, right? I totally th- and would yes. And would you say that about swimming too? Like they're swimming. Maybe yeah. if you really didn't know I anything, mean, but true, like, butterfly looks different, really different from backstroke. Yeah. 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 So you you kind of have to have a more trained eye to see like oh that position of the shoulder and that motion that internal rotation is similar regardless of which stroke you're doing. Right. Okay, that totally makes sense. So I and I think that when you were were uh, doing your swimming career, you also would strength train. Yeah, and, of the and do yoga. And you did yoga. Yeah, so that was like my my once a week thing to balance it I out. Remember that yeah, you would say that's yeah. how I got started. In with yoga. Yeah, in response to swimming, I wanted to get those stretching benefits. A hundred percent. So I think that that's a good point to make. Like, if there's something wrong with repetitive activities, and I don't think there's anything wrong with doing the same yoga. Well, practice. maybe maybe there is. <laughs> Wait, what? Maybe maybe repetitive activities aren't the best for you. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. If you'd like to work with Travis and myself in a more direct way in your own yoga or movement practice consider our Strength for Yoga remote group training program. Are you interested in bringing strength into your movement practice? Maybe you already strength train, but would appreciate a smart program to follow designed by people you trust, so you don't have to think about what you're going to do each day. Consider joining Travis and myself and a motivated community of yogis who all value the benefits that strength training has for their yoga practice, for their body, and for their life. Strength for Yoga Remote Group Training is a monthly strength program that also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, jennyrawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Maybe, maybe repetitive ad- activities aren't the best for you. Do you think it matters like dosage? Well, I guess what I was going to say was what about the bigger picture context? Like what else are you doing in addition? Yeah, you can, you can mitigate some of that, but repetitive motion is not the best. Right, right. It 
can become problematic if you don't also load in other ways or just yeah i guess it's a it's a it's a volume thing yeah yeah it's a volume thing and then uh what else are you doing exactly so kind of like about a a bigger picture it's not like a oh any repetitive motion that you do is going to be a guaranteed injury that's not true that makes sense. But yeah, I guess I just meant that I didn't want to fear, fear monger about something. Like running is really repetitive, but people love running and they yeah. are really healthy because they run. Yeah. So maybe it's just like, well, yeah, if you only run and run beyond your body's capacity and maybe you're not doing other things, you know, maybe then. For sure. Predispose you to an injury. But like running in and of itself, it is a repetitive activity, but it's not like we need to not run because right. of that. Anyway, just trying to keep it in bigger picture. So yes, yeah, so I felt better. Not doing Ashtanga, but still doing intense vinyasa flow. But then I think as then I started to also feel similarly. Like at some point it was like, oh, my body actually, it's felt great when I did change, but it's been long enough that I'm starting to feel the aches and pains again. Then concurrently with that is when I started learning more about movement science and studying the human body and movement and through taking on those studies, anatomy, biomechanics, and that all came about mostly because once I started teaching yoga, I really started to realize I was instructing people on how to move their bodies. But I, it wasn't until I started teaching that I realized how little I actually knew about the human body and movement and our joint, the joints of the body and how it all, you know, how all movement is put together and how you might lead people through and why you're teaching movement a certain way. I just realized there was this whole world of understanding out there that had not been, I had not learned in my yoga teacher trainings. And right. I felt like if I took it upon myself to educate myself, that would help me be a better teacher. Kind of branch outside of the yoga teacher bubble even to get a more well-rounded education on those Exactly. I think bubble is a great word to use for it. Within the yoga world, there's definitely can be a bubble and it's just yoga teachers talk to yoga teachers, yoga teacher training programs teach yoga teachers and then they go on to teach. Not not that there aren't yoga teachers who are teaching those topics and yes. you certainly have mentors in that realm yes. but you saw a wider that's right perspective yeah or more more perspectives even outside of that context outside of the context of yoga let's just look at movement and movement science like learn uh, and under try to understand some principles around that that then i could apply and bring back to the bubble of yoga right so in Learning more about movement science, I started to realize something that two, two big realizations that I had not realized before in my previous, whatever, 10 to 12 years of yoga. And those two things are number one, strength training is super beneficial for the human body in like long-term strength training over time has so many benefits to offer us and like beyond just aesthetic benefits and benefits that on a stereotypical level, people tend to maybe even look down on or not respect, but, but uh, for health in general and um, healthy aging and cognitive health, like strength training is so great. So I realized that was very important for people to be doing and myself to be doing. And then the other thing I realized was that a yoga practice, although I, I guess if I had thought about it, I thought it was good at strength training us or helping us strength train. I realized it actually lacked in that quality quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's certainly a purported benefit, right? Yes. Yoga will get you more flexible, will get you stronger, and that's true to an extent, but not mm-hmm. their, the potential for strength gains is limited. Limited, exactly. So anybody who has maybe been sedentary their whole life, kind of like I was when I was 19 and I started yoga, 
they start yoga and it's certainly going to be new loads to their body. It's mm-hmm. certainly going to strengthen them in the ways that yoga physical asana might strengthen. Yeah, like some strong poses would include chaturanga, mm-hmm. down dog even, yes. even though we consider it a resting pose. That's For right. a beginner, it's that can be a really considered. strong pose. It totally can. Um, chair pose. Ukatasana, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Warrior three, Virabhadrasana three. Yep. Um, arm balances. Right. Inversions. Yes. Purvottanasana, upward facing plank. I just say that one and laugh because so many yogis hate that one, in my experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That realization that you strength training is important Mm-hmm. and you want to be doing more of that, where did that lead you? Yeah, so it led me to, and again, just yeah, acknowledging that yoga does offer some strength, but it's limited. Uh, there's oh, no- yeah, right. So so it's, it's strong. It, it is a strong practice, but we can adapt to those loads mm-hmm. so that down dog can become a resting pose. Yes, even arm pose. Yeah, arm balances still are, <laughs> yeah, still are hard. Uh, that's true. And some of the, you know, single leg can become yeah yeah so so and there's no progressive overload that's the thing that's it's body weight only. so yeah so you get you can you'll adapt to those loads you can get strong in those and then the only way to really progress is by doing poses for longer right so so, which is fine like you can hold crow for longer Mm -hmm. but you're not really working on at a certain point, you're not really working on strength anymore. Like you've you've achieved the strength milestone, and now you're just building up strength endurance. Exactly, exactly. And I think uh, crow pose is a good example. Plank pose is a good example because we often see plank taught for hold this for thirty seconds, right. a minute, two minutes. You're getting stronger in plank, but like you just said, um, once you have the strength to do plank, if you just keep holding it longer and longer, that's that's not really cultivating maximal strength anymore. It's Right. Muscle endurance, which is a different, still good variable, but it's not muscle strength. Right. And when we're talking about the the health benefits, also the injury prevention benefits of strength training, strength training can, and sometimes that can be a little, that seems a little debated sometimes. Sure. But that strength training in general, you would think it's like making your tissues more resilient and therefore more resilient to potential injury. But uh, anyway, uh, so in order to have those benefits, you need to be working on actual strength. For those specific strength-connected yeah. benefits. So how, at first, how did you incorporate that into your yoga practice? Yeah, so once I realized strength is important and I wasn't really getting strength to a significant degree in my yoga practice or in my yoga teaching, like what I was offering my students. So I was like, wait, this is this missing movement ingredient. And that was like a big eye-opening realization. So what I decided to do was to make my yoga practice and my yoga teaching stronger Within, like within the yoga practice, I tried to make it stronger. Mm-hmm. And one way that I did that was through incorporating a lot of like end range strength training, like come into a stretch and then contract your muscles, the agonist or the antagonist there. And just like really work hard because you're at a mechanical disadvantage in those extended positions. So if you then in those positions start to activate your muscles more, that can potentially build strength. Based on the length tension relationship? A hundred percent based on the length tension relationship exactly so you can do these like really targeted they're the types of movements that people like they look really small but then you do them and you're like whoa that was so hard and Mm -hmm. the types of movements people when you teach them they're just like what was that like i i never thought like it looks easy but then i did it and it was so hard Mm -hmm. 
So these kind of surprising movements. So I would pepper a lot of those into my class and I would feel like I am teaching more strength and I'm building more strength. And I would do other things like, like manipulate uh, joint angles and one's relationship to gravity. You know, all those things you can do within a body weight context to increase load, mm-hmm. to like progress poses mm-hmm. or yeah, movements. So I would try to incorporate that as much as I could. Then I know that other people, I, I of course, is I'm not the only person who have had these realizations. Yeah, yeah. So other people have also realized yoga is not very great at strength training. So in order to, to rectify that, they bring in bands, resistance bands, and kettlebells or light dumbbells, things mm-hmm. like that. So they're like adding more load to their classes mm-hmm. that way. Uh, what do you think about that as a strategy? Well, it, it the light dumbbells thing, again, it's it's similar to when you're new to yoga mm-hmm. and these movements are hard. It, it you do get a strengthening benefit when you add five or ten pounds in each hand and do a flow with mm-hmm. the dumbbells you are increasing your strength because it's there's more it's load, load yeah. than you were doing with body weight before but the again over time you can adapt to that so if if you were saying okay for this month i'm gonna use five pounds for the next month i'm gonna use mm-hmm. 10 pounds and 15 pounds then that you would be working through this upward trajectory, but that's not really how that's these things how. go. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we have these five pounds and we're going to do our practice, but th- exactly. there's a finite amount of improvement that you can get from that. So it's totally true. Then when you talk about, and similar with bands, the bands just only provide so much resistance. So again, it's yeah. more than if you're just doing body weight, and that's good. It's good, yeah. But the the that's not going to last forever eventually you'll adapt to those loads you'll adapt and to those too. i don't, I don't yeah. know do they get stronger bands or do, is it just like these are the bands that we use right 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 and it's just the same band for everybody okay. and everyone has different strength levels and but they're using the same implement right and, yeah yeah and, th- and then they're using the same but you set those bands up and they're using the same bands for all the poses right it's not mm, like going right. between different bands for different movements but as you pointed out before, it's, yeah, if you use the same band for all the movements or the same single dumbbell or even kettlebell, kettlebells can be bigger and yeah. like I picture Kettle- people yeah. using heavier. But it's still like in one pose, you might be able to handle more weight and in another less, but you're using right. one weight for right. everything. So if you're doing a squat with 20, well, no, if let's say you're doing a overhead press with 10 pounds, that might be enough. But doing squat with 10 pounds probably isn't enough. A hundred percent. Your legs are just stronger than one arm pressing overhead. Yeah. That's so like... so kettlebells maybe are a little better if they're heavier. Um, but then you're talking about getting several kettlebells mm-hmm. or, or dumbbells or whatever it is. Like the, the ideal way of doing this would have you have a line of implements to the side of your mat. Yeah, and you're, every student does. Yeah. So the studio has to have that many weights yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Like and student. heavy ones, and they're expensive. So that's why studios probably don't do that. And you're choosing the appropriate load for the appropriate exercise. You're Ex- matching that up. And then each month you're going to a new, like five pounds heavier on your light, medium, and heavy Ex- dumbbell. Yeah, and I guess uh, you'd have to keep track of that yourself. Yeah. it's a group class, I can well, sure. And you're... The flow is changing every time. So how do how do you know that you that today's flow is going to be similar enough to the last flow that you're ready to use heavier? That's loads? so true. So that's like, just that's really tough too. Yeah. And then there's the issue of I think we know from strength training that in order to like to get an effective strength stimulus, you generally need to do reps, like repeat the movement. Right. 
and in yoga, times you, that you you might do something thrice or me, yeah five times but it's not usually which is fine like you can it's still good yeah but you're not working to your edge that's right or like, you yeah usually not it you depends. could you could do more you know it, you stop at three but maybe you could have done six well that not, that. that's yeah. something but it's not is it actual it maximal be, strength? Yeah, it may not stimulus. be sufficient because you're not getting close enough to your edge. Yeah, yeah, precise. And, and plus, just the style of a yoga flow practice, you don't generally just hold one pose and then just do a bunch of reps. Right. Like it, you could, a teacher could teach in that style, but that's not generally how we Te- see Yoga it. teachers aren't counting reps usually. Exactly. It's just, um, yeah, yeah. So to me, with enough time of me trying to add load to my yoga teaching and my practice via like the... Um, yeah, progressions via manipulating relationship to gravity all with body weight but then seeing other teachers also add bands and add weights I started to just realize that it's almost like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole yeah it's like trying to it's trying to make it's trying to put yoga back to that original claim where it can be everything where it can be this panacea it's like well uh, I thought yoga was gave me everything then I realized it didn't now I really want it to still give me everything so I'm going to change it and make it strength training Mm -hmm. but once i learned enough about strength training i kind of could look at that and realize i i just didn't think that that was that was so optimal for for it's still good but for true progressive overload and real maximal strength over time in the long term i don't think it's the best solution it's like trying to make yoga something that it just it doesn't really yeah it's very contrived that's such a great word it's contrived it's forced I don't judge it. It might totally like some people. It might be great for them, but uh, but like for me and my body, I, I just I started to realize that there is this other form of movement out there that's actually developed based on exercise science, intending specifically to really efficiently strengthen your body, and that's strength training, and that can be with body some body weight movements, but also with with weights. Mm-hmm. Like that can be a great or or machines if you're at the gym, but actually bringing in these other implements. That you don't te- ter- uh, usually find like in a typical yoga class, right? And the weights can get pretty heavy if you really want to get stronger, but like we're, like heavy. Yeah, and I think people often don't realize like they they often think like okay, I added weight to my practice, it's two pound dumbbells, and they don't necessarily realize to actually strengthen. You need to trust your body. A little yeah, more well, that's that's scary, right? Like mm-hmm. with our our stuff, we kind of recommend. Like we recommend a lighter kettlebell and a heavier kettlebell for people who are starting strength training. And strength for yoga. Yeah. yeah, and we give people a range. Like your light kettlebell can be ten to twenty pounds, and your heavy kettlebell can be thirty to fifty. I think. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people get pretty bugged out. Like thirty pounds. Yes. Without realizing, I think that in your day to day, like you're probably moving thirty yeah, pounds around. Like the uh, a new bag of dog food <laughs> that you're like picking up and then you know dumping out 100%. into another container like that's pretty heavy that's pretty heavy cat well, litter yes you know if you have kids and you pick them and up. yeah <laughs> you're a certain yeah you're certainly encountering loads like that heavy grocery bags yeah but i don't think people make that connection necessarily yeah and I, I think you're right and to be honest 30 to 50 pounds is just like just the beginning yeah of where it can go yeah right but i think it kind of speaks to just these just maybe a, not a, a great representation of this, of strength training, the practice of strength training to the general public. Yeah. I think people tend to have these these preconceived notions about it. That dangerous. Aren't, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's, it's about 
Go ahead. Well, <laughs> it's about uh, getting all jacked and like, right, super right, physique. yeah. It's for a particular type of person. It, it, it's very bro, very macho. Yeah. It's gym bros. Yeah. And none of that sounds appealing to yogis. I mean, I'm. I'm not making. Yeah. Broad no. If, if you're somebody who is more uh, drawn to a yoga studio, yes. or you are maybe are a member of a gym that has a yoga room, you're. If, if that's something that you do six days a week, mm-hmm. there's a reason, right? Like right. you're more drawn to that. You're more drawn kind to of that. a calmer environment, different exactly. type of person who's practicing that, and you may be unlikely to venture into the other side of the gym with the, you know, the, the gym bros, the, yeah, the, the loud noises, intimidating equipment, yeah, the clanging of weights, yep, yeah, it just. Uh, it is its own thing, but then it also has these these connotations around it. Yeah. Like, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's dangerous. People think they'll hurt themselves if they lift a 30-pound weight. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all of that can can be really preventative. Just like we said, yoga, can people can think, like, that's intimidating. People could. That's be a really good connection. Yeah. It's so... You could be intimidated by either. Yeah. But what we really find when we actually, like, take a step in and, and try to be open to, to uh, stepping outside of our... Our, um, our like going beyond our horizon or, or pushing our boundaries a little, we can find see that it's actually different than we thought, or it can be different than we thought. Right. And I think with strength training, that certainly was the case for me. I had all those same preconceived. I just wasn't interested in it. I just thought it was like pumping up your muscles. That's right. what I thought previously. Like, which is why I was like, why? Why would I want to do that? That's but I kind of. That's what I kind of thought too. You did. Yeah. So, <laughs> I before I became a personal trainer, I thought that the heavier the weight you lifted, the bigger your muscles got. Which, <laughs> it like, at a very surface level is true, but it's actually the case that more people who are really seeking muscle growth tend to do higher volumes of exercise. Oh, that's right, hypertrophy And training. doing just heavier, more maximal strength training for fewer repetitions um, oh, yeah. doesn't doesn't make your muscles appreciably bigger because it, it doesn't have sufficient enough volume. It's not enough volume because it's yeah. so intense. Right. Yeah. So there's this like middle, like the hyper, like we call it like the hypertrophy uh, range of like six to twelve to rep, fifteen rep reps, yeah. and that's there's some nuance to that. But if you're, but it's not true that the heavier go, the heavier you go, the bigger your muscles get. That's not the case. It's more right. like the the more volume you do in this more moderate rep range it's true. will give you muscle growth, which some people want, some people don't want. That's fine. Right. And also, I think it's interesting to, to think about the fact that many people, when their goal is to increase their muscle size and change their physique, they actually have to be really controlled and intentional about it and follow strict programs and change their diet. It's like not something that tends to accidentally happen from taking on. A strength and I think a lot of women specifically fear they're like I don't want to start strengthening because it'll make me bulky yeah which is hilarious but, because people try their darndest to get mm-hmm. bulky and they're not and they able can't. to yeah yeah and it's not it's not to say that some people's results will be different from other people's results right. and they, they might put on muscle different. more easily yeah that's so true our genetics can influence but, it right yeah as a rule of thumb yeah you're not just gonna like walk into the gym, touch a weight, and suddenly have huge <laughs> like muscles. Really big. Yeah. 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 Which is just, it's just, yeah, it's funny. So how, how then did you learn about strength training? 
and then how did that influence or how did that yeah. work with your yoga practice? So I started to learn about the importance of strength and load in general for just the, the health of the body, our tissues, sense of confidence in the body, psychosocial benefits in addition to just physical and um, and also reducing risk of disease, certain diseases, cardiovascular disease, all the stuff. I started to learn about that as I was learning about movement science and also definitely really influenced by my main yoga mentor, Jules Mitchell, who's a, she has her master's in exercise science, biomechanics. She's written, she's all about stretching, but also about adding load. That's one of her big messages. So that was a big influence on me too. And that, that really helped me open my eyes to like, oh yeah, this isn't really part of yoga. So, so once I started to realize that there actually was this other thing you could take on that was specifically designed to make you stronger and that yoga might not be the best, it's fitting like a square uh, peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. I decided, I pushed my boundaries a little bit and I went to a gym, which for me was a really big deal at the time. I worked with a personal trainer just for a few sessions. I didn't want to always that just wasn't in my mind what I wanted to do was to always be personally trained, but I still wanted someone to show me the equipment. It's super intimidating to like totally. walk into a gym. Everyone's doing, it looks like they all know what they're doing and you're just yeah. like, where do I start? Which is not, nobody knows what they're doing, but that's, yeah, <laughs> that's like, and yeah. nobody cares that you don't know what you're doing, Nobody's which is the, yeah, the irony the of it all. other thing, right? We yeah. get so, everyone's looking at me and like, no one's looking at you. Yeah. But I still just wanted someone really experienced to teach me and show me like the squat rack that looks really into like, how do I even use that? Yeah. And so he, we did I, just a handful of sessions where he kind of introduced me and showed me stuff. And then after that, I just kind of took it and, and moved forward pretty, really regularly. And I, th- I would imagine that your rich movement background yeah. helped you hit the ground running with that. I think that's so such a great So if you point. were 19 and yes. had never exercised before and then started strength training, there might be more novelty to it, but when you can take your mm-hmm. really experienced yoga background, you know how to squat, you know how right. to hinge, yep. or like a halfway lift, you know how to do push-ups and plank yeah. and all that, it can translate, make the transition to strength training more seamless. That is such a great point. A lot of people with no movement background start strength training. It's just a, little, a lot more overwhelming and... Yeah, but, but you, you already have this context. Yeah, exactly. And things so. are different, and the words are different, mm-hmm. and maybe there are some finer details of the movements that are different. But you you've practiced emulating shapes before, yes. or you know, mirroring what the teacher's doing. So if the strength and conditioning coach, personal trainer, shows you what to do, like you can just yeah do it many times. I think you're totally right. It didn't take long for me to pick it up. Mm-hmm. I felt like yeah. Yeah, I just needed some introduction to like, how do you... Which maybe, I don't even think is typical. Like most people that I've personally trained don't just hit the ground running with a few sessions. Oh, like, right. it takes, you need like the trainer yeah. over. They, yeah. Yeah, 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 it takes time. I mean, I've trained people for a year and they still each week like forget how to do the thing. <laughs> and like you... Yeah, they just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really fun. That's true. So I guess everybody's a little different, but having a a structured movement practice of yoga can really give yogis an advantage mm-hmm. in taking on a strength training practice. Yeah. So for me, I found that taking on a strength training practice really changed everything for me. Like I was finally doing, I actually had strength in the right category, you know, the right place in my wider movement repertoire. And mm-hmm. it was happening there. And then my yoga, I still love yoga. It's not like I value yoga any less because I realize it's not so great for 
long-term strengthening. Yeah. But I realized I didn't need to force yoga to be this thing that it just kind of couldn't be for me. <laughs> and I could take the pressure off of it of trying to squeeze all this strengthening out and let that be a different movement practice. And then yoga could just be freed up. Like it's liberating in a way. When I've talked to um, Craig about this, I remember he just made a really good point, which is that it's it's kind of like having a relationship with someone and wanting that person in that relationship to give you everything yeah. and how unreasonable that is. And you have to realize, like, I need to value this relationship for all the things it can't give me. But then I get other relationships for for those other uh, benefits and that other type of interaction. It's like not it's not fair in a, in a human, like to do in a human relationship. And it's not fair to do with a movement practice, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So it's made me honestly love my yoga practice more because I get to value it. And let it just be all those other things. Yoga's amazing. Maybe not so amazing for strength. Well, let's just take strength out of the equation. And that's not to say I don't still do some hard things in my yoga practice. In fact, getting stronger from strength training has helped the stronger yoga asanas feel more easeful. Right. Now when I do crow, handstand, it's like so much easier for me. Which is the thing, right? Like this balance between effort and ease, if you have to over effort that can kind of take you out of the easefulness of the practice that's such a good point and that's kind of a core foundation in yoga is that balance between effort and ease or stira and sukha those are sanskrit terms that mean that Mm -hmm. and teachers will often say that like you want to try to ride that that value you don't it's not too easeful where you're just like flopping around but not so effortful that you're like over striving yeah yeah Um, but since yoga is not the best vehicle for really improving strength uh, if you really want to find that middle point, it's helpful to really work the strength and the effort off the mat. Mm-hmm. The only other point I wanted to make about all this was that I also, uh, to my surprise, found that that strength training, you can take it on as a practice and you don't actually need to, to dedicate much time to it. Strength Strengthening is super efficient. And, and also when you strength train, in the moments that you're doing the strength work, it's really high intensity. Like you might even groan or scrunch your face up it's like it's it's hard it's intense but just for a short time so because of that you couldn't really you wouldn't want to do strength training for hours on end anyway it's like kind of it's just better as a compact practice mm-hmm. you see these little inputs of high intensity and then let it go so therefore your actual strength training practice doesn't need to be much time but then you still have all the rest of this time and we know that we don't want to just move for a short time every week and then just sit on the couch all the rest of the time there's still all this time there where we want to do some good movement and and structured movement can be a great way to do that so i found it just opened up it just made me think uh strength training is like my high intensity more compact movement and yoga is this low intensity movement that i can even do for longer Mm -hmm. and they kind of complement each other that way and you could do them strength training two or three days a week and yoga two or three days a week or you could even do yoga before your strength training after your strength training cool down after you're totally so right. A lot of weight. It's not like, oh, I was this dedicated yogi. Now I'm going to abandon yoga to go do strength training. And I have to strength train for two hours a day, six days a week. <laughs> that is probably too much. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably counterproductive. Yeah. Because you need time to rest between strength training for your body to recover so you can train again. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to do it so much. So that in and of itself means that there's going to be built-in time for your yoga practice. What about... Um, I think people have this going back to like the perception of strength training as being this macho thing. Um, but I, mm-hmm. you've written about this before about how 
for you, strength training is actually a very mindful practice. Yeah. Which is like that's so maybe true. counterintuitive for people. I think it is counterintuitive, especially when they think of it as like ma- this macho thing. But I, I find that the sheer intensity of a strength training practice in and of itself forces you to be very mindful and present to your body and connected to your movements. Just the fact of it being really a lot of effort. Like it's really hard to say back squat with a big uh, heavily weighted barbell on your back and also be thinking about your shopping list <laughs> at the same like you just can't, you can only be there in that moment yeah. at least I, that's how i experience it uh, and i think and also strength training when you learn a new strength training exercise you have to be super present and engaged in taking on this new movement pattern and i think there's so many ways in which strength training can actually be very mindful we just don't tend to see it that way or think about it that way mm-hmm. especially when there are all these stereotypes about it um, and also, you had pointed out uh, before about how when it comes to like the people who, who want to strength train for hypertrophy and muscle growth, there's that um, mind-muscle connection. That's right. That is another element of mindfulness that, that bodybuilders have actually known for a long time. Like if they really want to effectively stimulate a muscle, they really focus mentally on that muscle working yeah. as they lift the weight. And that, that, that literally, like research has shown... That can increase muscle growth. Yep, having a better mind-muscle connection. So really thinking about the muscle contracting and not thinking about anything else. Like my my mentor uh, from personal training school, Barry Fritz, he said, put your... uh, I was doing like an exercise for my glutes and it was one side at a time. So my my left side is generally weaker. I wear a prosthesis Mm -hmm. on that side. Mm -hmm. So he said, put your mind in your left glute. Oh, I like that. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, but yeah. And, and so, did that help? Did you find that to be for a- sure? For sure. Um, so that yeah, that's a thing where oh, that sounds really broy. Yet these people <laughs> have a very mindful approach it's to how so- they how they're doing this kind of you know yeah, thing that so- might might be perceived as more macho. F- yeah, from the standpoint of having a muscle growth goal. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, strength training can be about so much more. It can include muscle growth. But it can also, there's so many other reasons to strength train. Mm-hmm. And even one other thing too is like breathing. Breathing is mm-hmm. really oh, important yes. in yoga. There's a breathing pattern associated with uh, doing strength training exercises where you're, you're supposed to inhale and exhale in a different phase of each part of the motion. That's so true. So, so there's that element as well. And that's like definitely an over, yeah. Yeah, so I see my strength training practice as a very mindful activity for sure. Which some people might say is blasphemous, but exactly but what that's how i that's how i experience it yes yeah they can that's for each person to decide for themselves a hundred percent so i have one last question for you okay so we talked about four phases of your journey basically so so recapping them it was my ashtanga yes and and kind of yoga is complete like yoga Mm -hmm. gives me everything i need and then vinyasa flow which which was changing up adding a little variety Mm -hmm. and then it was yoga with a more strengthening focus. Stronger yoga. Mm-hmm. Typically with these end range movements. And that that was one one thing I want to point out is that's a little bit what you are you are known for, I would say. Yes. Or have been become known for is this the sneaky strength. A hundred percent. Actually, can we just divert just really quickly yeah. and address that really quickly? Yeah. Um, because I uh, recently I talked about some of these ideas on social media and I got a great comment from a teacher who said I really love the perspective you're sharing about strength and yoga. 
I share it myself. I do my own strength training practice as separate from my yoga, but I've experienced that tons of my students, they're not interested in any sort of strength training practice. Yeah. Nothing I say is going to convince them of that. Yep. So then do you still see value in teaching like a, a strong, a sneaky strength style class? Uh, so in any way, I would just like to make clear that I think it's totally valuable. Yeah. And um, it just might not be, it's suboptimal yeah. for long-term actual progressively, for maximal strength gains over time, it's suboptimal, yeah. but... If you're not going to do yeah. strength training, then absolutely add that strengthening focus on the mat. A hundred percent, yes. It's still mm. so great. And if you're not going to do it, and you can't expect or assume everybody's going to want to strength train. Right. I feel like as soon as people actually realize how the benefits it has... Uh, beyond the stereotypes, then I feel like everyone should want to strength train. Yeah, but that's, that's not going to be everyone. True or realistic? Totally. So sneaky strength style yoga has an amazing place to play. Perfect role to play. Just like to point that out. I just think yeah. I personally, it wasn't. Yeah, we've for me. we've pointed out some of the shortcomings, but there are many benefits, and those mm-hmm. should not be you know, ignored. Mm-hmm. And again, just thinking bigger picture. Yeah. Like, yeah. what else is that person's not going to strength train? So then this is going to offer them right quite a bit so that was stage three yeah and then stage four was strength training as a separate practice Mm -hmm. from your yoga even though it has some yogic elements to it Mm -hmm. and then doing your yoga apart right just keeping them and making me that makes me love yoga even more and love strength training so yeah keeping them separate so my last question for you is what do you think if you could look into your crystal ball into the future what would be your fifth phase that's a really great question. And what I think about that is that I wrote this four phases of my yoga practice that I put in the forum on the website. I wrote that, I want to say, a year ago, like a while back. So since then, I have, because we're always continuing to evolve and change, I've even a little bit evolved since then to where I would say that I've had a, a fifth, already had it, which is just that if the fourth phase was having a, you know, separating out strength training and doing that dedicatedly and then having yoga separate. My fifth phase is actually taking on a more structured strength training program in and of itself in the form of our strength for yoga program. Because before we created strength for yoga, I was do I've been doing strength training for years, but it wasn't in the form of this overarching planned over time structured uh, program that like changed every month. And each month there were these themes and we had these folks focuses we layered on to make the practice the strength training sessions more meaningful or practice within a container of an intention yeah so what you were doing before is you were kind of designing you were designing your own workouts and you were doing it kind of on a day-to-day like okay here's yeah what am i going to do today and that that's what i've done in the past too Mm -hmm. Uh, especially for me because i you know i train other people I want to make sure that I'm trying everything before I give it to anybody else. Oh, that makes sense. And there's always yeah. new things I want to try. So it's kind of just like, all right, what new thing am I going to try today? And I would still do the the main things or the, the more the, mundane the things. But I wasn't like really consistent with them. Yeah. Uh, and so the real, that that's like, that's a, that's, that's an entry point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like the vinyasa flow of strength training where each day is a new day i'm gonna do something different uh it's gonna be hard but then uh each day is gonna be different right and then the way phase five is okay i'm going to here's what i'm gonna do today and i'm gonna do this again 
next Monday. Yeah, in a week. And then I'm going to do it again the Monday after because that. Because each week there are two or three workouts. Yeah. So you like rotate. So you, you yeah. would rotate through them. And and you're going to write down yeah, everything write that down you did. Track your... Yeah, which is another thing where we're just not doing that in yoga. That's so when right. you say, oh, I have these three kettlebells and uh, I'm going to try to progress them from 10, 20, and 30 to 15, 25, and 35... Because, and I know when I'm ready to progress based on what? Yeah, well, in our practice, you know when you're ready to progress because you've achieved whatever milestone you were trying to do. Mm-hmm. You started doing three sets of eight. Now you're able to do three sets of 10. So you're ready to bump up the weight. Yeah, that tells you that. And, and the only way that you know that is if maybe you have, uh, you know, perfect memory. Yeah. And you, you can remember what you did last week or two weeks ago. But... That's true. It's really helpful to write it down. Yeah. So so the that documentation process, the the going through the same workout over and over for a period of time. So mm-hmm. in, in our case it's four weeks with strength for yoga remote group training or our books programs. But then the also this notion of having a bigger plan in mind, mm-hmm. which is what we do, where we lay things out on a monthly basis, but we're thinking about it from like what are we gonna? Where do we want to be six months from now? And what? How do we get there? Or how do we get exactly. people there? And doing that and it's so over, intentional. Then we, right. yeah, we like. I mean, it's there's so much that goes into the planning of our of our programs. So it's the, one end of the extreme is what am, you get into the gym. What am I gonna do today? And then the other end is you take you offload that to somebody else like you and me. Exactly. And, uh, you let them decide and they know not only what you're doing today but what you're going to do six months from now and that hopefully six months from now is going to get you there faster than if you were to whatever the goal is yeah pull up or a handstand or a pistol squat or whatever those are for example some of the things that we've focused on in in the the monthly phases exactly yeah there's something i think really freeing about just trusting uh, really smart people like us (laughs) just trusting your strength practice to them like they're just going to prescribe they know what they're doing yeah. they and also if it's written down you're going to do it probably and if it's if if you go into the gym you're probably going to do and you're doing it willy-nilly you'll probably do the things you like to do oh yeah there's the that things too. that you're good at yeah if somebody else is saying here are the things that are important for this mm-hmm. goal and uh, if you don't you're like have them to do or them, you're gonna, don't think of them yeah you still have to do them yeah <laughs> And that's that can be um, pretty important for addressing weak, some weak links. I certainly or, or making that. making more growth through your movement practice. Like being presented with having to do these movements that I otherwise probably wouldn't have thought of. It's like okay, we're yeah, doing this or because you hate them. Yeah, or like Navasana, <laughs> Navasana, my nemesis. I'm so much better at Navasana now, thanks to strength for yoga. Yeah. So I would say that's my phase five. It's just shifting the strength training into something more structured and more intentional and more planned. What a via good answer. our program <laughs> thank you uh yeah and that's i just think it's such a valuable offering i think that's all we're wanting to do is we just want to support yogis who have kind of come to some of these realizations that i have for their own practice and also their own teaching the more you learn about strength training i think the better movement and yoga teacher you can be. yeah well and we have a lot of teachers in the program a ton- yeah, i think they might be mostly teachers yeah and that often people are coming to us Saying, I, I not only want to do this for myself and my body, but to get more ideas that I can incorporate yeah. into my sneaky strength yoga classes, exactly. right? Exactly. And that's that's perfectly It's perfect. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's perfect. 
Yeah. So I think we've covered these four, actually four and actually five phases of my yoga journey. And I hope that uh, some of our listeners can relate. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully that we, we did what we set out to do in terms of people being at other stages and or yes. being at being at the the end of certain stages or, or wondering like what am I what am I going to do next and uh and feeling some guilt might not be the best word but some apprehension or confusion or cognitive dissonance as you mentioned earlier about mm-hmm. what yoga was to them and what it's becoming to them and just yeah. not that everybody has to go from phase one to phase five but um totally that it's okay it's okay. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, to realize that just because you learn these things about yoga where it doesn't necessarily meet what you thought it was doing or meet your expectations, it doesn't mean yoga is bad. I think it get, things get spun that way. Oh, uh, um, yeah, it's a really it, good point. Yeah, it doesn't mean like yoga is worthless and let's, you know, it's not that. Yoga is amazing, but just yeah, value that's it a for it. Slippery slope fallacy, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so true. Yoga can't get you stronger to a certain point, so yoga is worthless. Exactly. And it's like, there's just so much more of a, it's more complex than that and a much bigger picture. So hopefully we've presented that pretty well here in this conversation. Thank you so much for for talking to me about this today, Travis. Thank you, Jenny. And that wraps up our look at changing our perspective on our yoga practice and the four phases of my own yoga journey. Remember to use the code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program, and the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you enjoyed this discussion, we would so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.